HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit hearstranch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thursday, 1 o'clock, and once again, you have tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. We're coming to you from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bishwick, Brooklyn. Today, a lot of action outside the studio, doing a little filming for the movie Girls. Very exciting. So check us out. I may get a little flash of radio on their uh, season finale for season two of Girls. Um, but more excitingly, for me at least, uh, we are in studio with uh, David Kutletsky of Empire Brewing and also president of the New York State Brewers Association. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Aaron. Good afternoon. It's great to have you here. And then also very exciting, we have Becca Jablonski. Uh, Becca is a PhD candidate at Cornell University, and she was formerly the Agricultural Economic Development Specialist with Cornell Cooperative Extension. And Welcome to the show, Becca. Thanks for having me. Um, so we have a lot to talk about today. We, you guys, I've, I've brought on um, as the third in our uh, five-part series called "Growing Beer," where we're we're looking at beer as an agricultural product. And we kicked off the series two weeks ago with Mary Izzet, where we talked about um, kind of how beer is made. And then last week, if you tuned in, we were with Andrea Stanley of Volley Malt, looking at uh, other infrastructure with regards to beer production in the Northeast. And today we're going to be speaking with Becca and David about an interesting piece of legislation and kind of more broadly how policy and advocacy can impact agriculture and and beer in particular. So we are going to talk about the farm brewery legislation today. But before we kick off, I want to dig into a little bit more uh, behind the people who are joining us on the show. And Becca, we're going to start with you. I'm I'm curious, can you just give a sense of... um, what your work as an agricultural economist entails and what that means? 
Well, right now my uh, dissertation work focuses on looking at the economic impacts of different um, legislation that would support ag-based businesses, particularly in rural places uh, throughout the United States, and I'm particularly focused in New York at the moment. And why do we care about that? Well, our rural economies are, are not doing so well in New York State. Uh, we are lagging behind some of the urban centers. We have people who are leaving these rural places in central New York where I live. We're actually pretty stable uh, with our population, but there are many places on the southern tier, for example, where we're losing population. So we're trying to think about how can we generate business that's going to create jobs for people to come and revitalize some of these uh, areas that were once thriving. Excellent. So I was looking at um, some information on the New York Brewers Association homepage, which is www.thinkdrinknny.com, of which David is the president. And they they give a nice kind of um, breakdown of beer industry economic impact in New York State. And I, I was really surprised to see um, them listing the, the overall economic contribution of, beer, of the beer industry at, at over $5 billion uh, here in New York. And so they're looking at, in that number, brewing, distribution, and retail. And then if they look at industry-related jobs, it includes um, about just over 2,300 jobs in agriculture. So it seems pretty clear that beer is having uh, an impact on both the economy and, and also in agriculture. And David, I'm curious... Um, in your role as a brewer, I mean, how did you kind of come to this agricultural conversation? Was it an obvious tran transition up at Empire Brewery, or, or did you come to it kind of throughout the beer-making process um, when you were looking around, kind of trying to figure out what, what the brewery's role would be more long-term? Well, you know, I think it all started uh, back in 2004 when I uh, uh, got a bunch of brewers together and said, you know, New York State beer needs to grow more. It needs to be more prevalent. Um, and, you know, how should we go about that? And at the time, we had about 3% market share in, in New York State uh, for overall, be overall beer sales. And one thing that I saw was that places like Colorado um, and uh, uh, Vermont and some other, um, other states, uh, Oregon's in, in particular, had a much greater market share for their local beers. And it seemed like all the breweries in New York State were fighting over that same 3% market share. Uh, so we formed a, uh, an association, um, and we, we formed it with 18 breweries uh, in New York State initially. Um, at the time, there were 40 breweries in New York State, and we were relatively powerless. Uh, a lot of legislation was going down uh, in Albany, um, that we weren't even aware of. Um, so we we organized, we unified. Initially, the goal was to create uh, an organization that really marketed uh, our product and, and and also protected the vital interest of New York State breweries. You know, oddly enough, in a 10-year span, not only uh, have we tripled our market share in New York State for New York State beers, but we've also uh, tripled the size of uh, the breweries in New York State. We have over 120 breweries in New York now. In the last 10 years, uh, we've tripled, which is uh, phenomenal. And uh, while working uh, with the New York State Brewers Association and creating this uh, guild, if you will, we learned a lot, a lot about um, uh, the wine industry. And it seems like 
uh, wine was getting all the attention and beer was not getting any attention at all. Uh, and we recognized that the reason why wine was getting so much attention was truly because it was recognized by the state as an agricultural product. And uh, then the distilleries came out and the state recognized distilleries as an agricultural product. And we were like, this is crazy. Beer is agriculture just as much as uh, both wine and, and spirit. So uh, we fought for this legislation for the past eight years. We, um, uh, we, we you know, communicated with people like Becca uh, to help uh, form uh, what I would consider a relevant uh, background and statistics on New York State beer so that we can prove to the state that we are, in fact, a viable uh, business. And a lot of the numbers that you can find at thinkNYDrinkNY.com uh, come from an independent study that's done by the Brewing Institute uh, for us on our behalf, and it comes out every two years. The new economic data is going to come out, um, I believe, this September. So the numbers that you're looking at now online are, are, are actually antiquated. Uh, we're going to see a, a much more significant uh, impact this year. With this information, we were able to go to our elected officials in Albany and convince them that uh, we are not only agricultural, but we could help uh, grow New York State uh, from an economic standpoint. Um, and so you have a long history with the New York Brewers Association, but you also run Empire Brewing Company, which is up in Syracuse, New York. Mm-hmm. And that, that, in that, like, what is your day to day role with, with Empire Brew? Well, um, on a daily basis, I guess I run the company for the most part. We have 70 employees. Um, fortunately, I'm surrounded by really good people, so I, I can uh, be in New York uh, and, and sell our beer product. But uh, we are as much as a restaurant in Syracuse as we are uh, a microbrewery. Uh, but we recognize that the future of our company really was in beer, uh, and there was a demand for our beer beyond uh, the confines of our brew pub. So um, about two years ago, we started brewing with Calso um, in Brooklyn. So now we have our beer brewed in Brooklyn for distribution really throughout New York State, which is nice. Uh, but we're near capacity uh, and in our Brooklyn uh, operation as well as we are at capacity in our Syracuse location. And uh, the plan is now to uh, build a farm brewery in Casanova, which is uh, uh, one of the rural areas that uh, Becca was talking about. And the goal is really to utilize this um, legislation and, uh, and, and really make something that is an agricultural uh, component to the beer industry in upstate New York. So we're, uh, we're, we're at that uh, phase right now. So when you ask, you know, what am I doing on a daily basis, what I'm trying to do is build a new brewery. Cool. Exciting. Yeah, it's, so very, it's very cool. You got your hands in a lot of pots. I totally do. Um, I totally do. So, Becca, I'm curious, you know, because this is what we'll be kind of referring to through the rest of the, the episode today, what, how, how are you guys defining a, a farm brewery? What does that mean? Well, a farm brewery, um, it, it could mean many different things. Uh, the key piece here is that it, it's a brewery that would utilize New York State-grown products. So the farm winery license that was uh, legislation that was passed in 1976 meant that a, a winery was going to use grapes that were grown and processed in New York State. 
And so that's how the, uh, the distillery law also works. So the, the key thing then is that a farm brewery supports uh, New York State ag businesses by utilizing those products. So a farm brewery can be a brewery where the hops or, or other ag products are actually grown on site, but it can also be a business that utilizes products that are grown on a neighboring farm. Okay, and so currently there, there are two bills that are, are still currently under review. I mean, I was trying to, to get a sense. I know that it, it looked like in towards the end of June that, that the um, S5078-2011 was mo- you know, committed to the rules. So where, where is the legislation at now? I mean, what does that mean? All right. So there's the the farm breweries. For the what you're referring to is a farm brewery bill. Uh-huh. Um, it, a very interesting thing happened uh, probably about three months ago, and it, there was a an importer that sued New York State, uh, and uh, from this lawsuit resulted in New York State breweries losing uh, uh, both their um, excise tax. Um, uh, exemption and also brand label registration uh, fee exemption, and this is something that we've always been uh, exempt from. Uh, it was viewed as unconstitutional. We being craft brewers, craft brewers in New York State only. Okay, and <coughs> craft brewers defined as what? Uh, brewers that brew less than sixty thousand barrels annually. Okay. All right. So, um, but you know, that's a small brewer um, above sixty thousand. You're still considered a craft beer if you're uh, if you follow certain rules in in brewing. You don't use adjuncts, uh, etc. So um, when uh, when when this law sorry when this law was challenged and there was a lawsuit where New York State was sued, uh, there was a settlement immediately uh, because it was viewed unconstitutional. It fell in the face of the Granholm Act, and all of a sudden, all these breweries in New York State had to pay excise tax now. Um, we all pay tax, and and, there's, and and I'm not saying that we shouldn't um, <clears throat> pay the excise tax, and we are now paying the excise tax. But what we did is we created a um, a production tax credit that would offset the excise tax. What this amounts to for some of the breweries, like Empire, uh, it's an extra thirty thousand dollars a year that we have to pay an excise tax. And for us, for a small company, that's relatively steep. When you look at uh, Brooklyn Brewery, uh, I think theirs was, uh, their, their amount was uh, something like 600000 And uh, for Genesee, that, that amount was a million dollars. So this, we're talking significant dollars at this point. And that's just a, a dro- at, the, at the drop of this settlement. It was like, hey, guys, guess what? Here's your bill. And the next day, we okay. had to pay it. Yeah, and this was on March 28th. Okay. So the, like, I remember it clearly. Oh, <laughs> the day my stomach yesterday. hit a pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The day that everybody, every brewer in New York State called me and said, "How did this happen?" So we we fought diligently, and I say we we put together an executive uh, committee, and we worked directly with our legislators. And one of the really cool things about the farm brewery, you're probably wondering where the heck I'm going to go with this, but one of the cool things about the the, the farm brewery uh, legislation. And 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 Albany, uh, Cuomo saw this as an opportunity. He said, "Wait a minute, let's do this production tax credit. Let's do the um, let's do the brand label registration exemption." And the exemption is now he extended to all breweries, not just those in New York State. So, uh, if you're producing less than sixty 
15, uh, uh, if you're producing less than 1,500 barrels of one particular beer, you're exempt from uh, paying brand label registrations, which is uh, great for everyone. And um, the production tax credit will be for um, to, to offset the, that um, uh, excise tax. But he packaged it with a farm brewery bill. And he made it all one inclusive bill, which is brilliant, in my opinion. So what he's doing is creating an economic engine for agricultural in New York State and allowing us to get to get these tax breaks. So the bill was signed into law uh, about a month ago. Okay. So we now have uh, farm brewery, brewery license available, available to uh, farmers throughout New York State. Wow. That's, that's the long can I version of one what other happened. Thing in terms of economic impact about why what David's saying is so important. Yes. If you look at rural, um, rural areas, there's just not a whole lot of economic activity. And economic impact in a community is based on the inner industry connections. So you want to have businesses that are buying from each other and selling to each other. And that basically keeps the money local, and it means that we can generate um, more money for everybody in that community. And by community, I mean, I'm talking about it could be a, a village, it could be a town, it could be a state. And so as we create more of these businesses that buy from each other and sell to each other, it's really good for everyone. And so what David is doing with Empire Brewery, for example, is he's purchasing product directly from these local farms that are in his community. Um, they, in turn, go to his restaurant. They buy his beer. Um, you know, there's, it generates more of these inter-industry linkages. And when we talk about economic multipliers, that's exactly what we're talking about. So it basically multiplies the economic impact of these different benefits. So, you know, David employs 70 people. He pays those people salaries. Those people then spend money in those communities where they live. And that's really important, um, particularly for rural areas where you have less of these businesses there. I mean, in particular, I guess, if the breweries are located in, in rural areas, obviously the, the farms or, or the production of, you know, grains or hops would be located in rural areas, which is what I want to tuck into. We're going to take a, a short break, and when we come back, we'll look a little bit more at the supply end of this discussion. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West 
And we're back. You are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report. We are talking about growing beer. We are in studio with David Kudleski of Empire Brewing Company and uh, Becca Jablonski from up at Cornell. She's a PhD candidate and an agricultural economist. And so we've created this, you, you know, you you and David and a slew of other people in, in New York State have worked hard, it sounds like, to create this brewery legislation um, to create this spe- special designation for, for breweries that are using New York State products. And I'm curious, um, you know, how, a couple of things, how, you know, how much is, is enough? I mean, how much product do you have to use to, to get the designation? Is there a tiered system or how does it work from a consumption? And, and then what is the supply looking like um, as far as look with regards to scale? And maybe Becca, you can give us a sense. Um, well, I will. I'll let David talk to the talk about the um, sort of how much is enough from the um, brewer's perspective, because I'm sure he can give you the ins and outs. I mean, the bottom line for it is that I think it's by 2023 or 2024 that uh, no less than 90 percent of the hops and 90 percent of other ag ingredients must be grown in New York State. Um, that, that's correct. It, 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 to, it, to qualify as a, a farm brewery, and it, it, there is a step, uh, Aaron, you're right. And, Becca, if I, if I could, um, it's 20% up until 2018 and then beyond 2018 up to 2022. Or, sorry, 2023, it's, it's 60%, and then beyond that, uh, 90%. And, and it's lofty expectations, uh, in my opinion, for New York State to uh, expect that we are going to um, use that much product. However, I think it's the impetus behind this legislation that's going to drive farmers to grow hops and to grow barley uh, and to have malt shops. Right now, um, there is no uh, sizable quantity of two-row barley available in New York State because there is no malt shop. Uh, and I've, ha- I've, I've been helping uh, three different companies get grants from New York State to, uh, to build malt shops and then the farmers will then grow uh, the barley. But I think what's going to happen uh, is uh, this. The nice thing about it is the law exists, and I think it will uh, adjust accordingly uh, because I think five years from now, if we go to the state and say, hey, listen, there's just not 20% uh, of barley available for all of us brewers, I think they'll uh, understand that and they'll adjust it downward. But I think the ultimate goal uh, from this legislation is really to get the farmers to start planting. And, and Becca, do you have a sense of uh, what, what production looks like now? I mean, I know that you, uh, I believe, wrote the, the grant to fund the uh, specialty crop, um, the, the state's first hop specialist through, through Cornell, to have someone kind of come in and look specifically at hops. Um, so how much, I mean, do you know what we're producing right now? Is there a baseline that was used when, when crafting the legislation? Yeah, so um, I would say... A few years ago, uh, when we wrote the grant, uh, we had about 13 acres in commercial production, and that may be on the uh, the high side. And for those 13 acres, our yields were uh, pretty low compared to even Vermont, um, but particularly compared to the Pacific Northwest, which is right now the largest hop-producing region in the country. Um, I want to say that actually New York State and Central New York used to be the hop-growing capital of the world. Uh, China's actually now the largest uh, hop producer, but New York State used to be. And a combination of uh, aphids, um, some powdered mildew or downy mildew, I always get the two confused, 
and then prohibition really uh, killed the industry here. Yeah, I mean, so, it was the great. I mean, it was the largest industry in the world like 120 years ago. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. In the late 1800s. So. Um, there's certainly potential to bring it back. Um, we don't have the growing conditions of the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, we, where it's grown over there, it's, it's really an, a more of an arid climate, so they can uh, really, they're pretty safe from getting some of these mildews. And actually, this year was a very tough year for some of the, the hop producers. And in addition to that, we haven't bred any varieties that are suitable for this region in uh, many, many years. There was one person at Cornell who did some research to find what was the indigenous variety of, of hops here, and they actually found it in, uh, in Europe, in England, and they brought it back here. And so they're doing a little bit of cultivation around there, but getting a, a plant breeding program going is very, very expensive, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to, just to start off with. And so we're really at this point sort of decades behind. So what's happening is growers in New York State are actually using varieties that they're bringing in from the Pacific Northwest um, they grow here, but they're not meant for this climate. And I think, and David could speak more to this, that brewers would really like to see some kind of um, New York State uh, hop variety that was really meant for this area. And but it, Go ahead, I'm oh, sorry. Well, no, so I was just going to say that, um, so what we're seeing right now, we may have, uh, by the end of next year, as many as 70 acres in, of hops in commercial production. But number one, it takes three years to get uh, those plants up to uh, where they're producing it at um, the ultimate levels. And second of all, uh, you know, this is a, a really bad year. We had some of our hop growers, actually someone who's right down the road from me, uh, who purchased some um, plants from the Pacific Northwest and had a 90% failure uh, in germination of those, those rhizomes. So that's a, a real problem. They've now lost a year in getting to that three years of, of you know, optimal production. Uh, so that's, that's significant loss in terms of revenue. You're talking about $11,000 an acre um, to plant hops, uh, depending on, uh, that includes labor costs. You may be able to save some, um, depending on what you do. So there's a lot of variables to really get the hops production up to what the uh, people who are going to get farm brewery licenses would really need. And I'm curious, you know, why is it that the hop, it, it seems uh, that people are really excited to talk about hops, but my understanding of the beer making process is that the bulk of the raw ingredients are, are barley or other grains. And I know, you know, Grow NYC here in New York City, th through the green markets, they they have a regional grain growing project. They have a great Facebook page. They've done a lot of work over the last few years, really looking at New York state grains and older varieties of grains here in, in New York. And why is it that the it just seems like hops get all the attention. Like, what, what's up with that? And, and what about grains? Like, what's the, what is the baseline for grain production? And how does that look to meet the 20% the goal that exists now or the 90%, you know, 10 years from now? My understanding, and David, I really hope you'll correct me here, is that hops are, I think, always been the sort of sexy part of beer, that there's a sort of a, a taste that's lent through the hops. I'm sure there is also through the grains, right. I but think that's it's really because distinctive. They're also be, it's, they're a member of the cannabis family. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's that's a sex appeal right there. No, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, go ahead, Becca, you're on a roll. <laughs> well, no, I, and I, I'd say, too, like, I, I understand the appeal, but obviously when you're looking at the infrastructure to kind of support a piece of legislation like this, I, I would assume that the bulk of uh, investment would be in the bulk of the ingredient that you need. 
Well, I think that part of it was that there was a, a severe hop shortage one year, a few years ago, and I want to say it was like in 2007, 2008. David, is that right? That's Not correct. in a year, right? Yep. So there was this big hop shortage, and so hop prices were really at an all-time high. And I think people saw that and thought, well, this is a great industry to get into, and there's a real uh, opportunity here, as opposed to malt. As, a, as I understand it, there's really a glut of malt nationwide. So there's this over overproduction. Um, so the problem is that there were a few specific circumstances that caused that short-term shortage in hops. Um, there was a big fire in uh, one of the uh, biggest warehouses the for hops Valley. in the yeah. Pacific Northwest. And then um, also it was a really bad year weather-wise for hop producers. So that situation has, has really changed. Um, I think one of the specific opportunities for hops is that it's such a small percentage of ingredients and expenditures for the brewers that there may be an opportunity for brewers to pay a premium and not have it affect their bottom line as much as potentially the grains that I think are a much larger part of their bottom line. David, would you agree with that? Completely. And so, David, you're brewing now. Um, w- are you able to source ingredients regionally? We, we get, there's two beers that we make with all New York State ingredients, but the malt that we're having grown in New York State then has to be shipped to Massachusetts to get malted. So, again, I don't think that this legislation is going to, or this license is, uh, is going to work until we get a malting shop in uh, New York State. I know the Hudson Valley region is looking at putting a malt shop. Also, the Finger Lake region is looking at putting in two. Once that happens, I think the farmers will then grow two-row barley, send it to the malt shop, and then we're going to be able to have affordable grains because it's almost cost prohibitive to grow grains here, ship them to um, outside of the state, have them malted, and then ship them back. Uh, The transportation costs are just... Are ridiculous and, and frankly, it's not uh, that great for the environment, right? Because you're shipping all this, and, and uh, the the uh, carbon footprint just expands uh, when doing so. So, I think ultimately, what we want to do with this legislation is to have a lot of the farm breweries grow their own hops and uh, convince a lot of their friends to the, to grow the barley. Uh, the new brewery that we're building in Casanova is a 22 acre facility. And the brewery itself will be about 24,000 square feet, but we are going to dedicate close to five acres of just hops. Um, the, the hops that we're using uh, in upstate New York, in my humble opinion, are the best hops, um, and they produce the best beer that we've seen in uh, the Empire's 18-year history. So uh, we think this particular indigenous Cascade hop to upstate New York uh, is uh, the future of Empire's beer, and hopefully will be used uh, in other and other uh, New York State breweries as well. So, I mean, it, so- it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities for someone to get out there and be the first kind of couple people and create some systems and look at varieties that will make sense and, and, and take those chances. And, uh, you know, Becca, you're working through Cornell and the Northeast Hop Alliance, or, you know, have, and then, David, you're a brewer and then also um, president of the New York State Brewers Association. So, how are you guys engaging or, or did have you in the past with farmers or, or stakeholders from the farming community to get a sense of, um, you know, what, what their needs might be or what kind of resources um, that, that they're looking for to kind of 
go along with you in the in the pursuit of uh, more regionally produced New York craft beer? Well, the association works really closely with uh, the New York Farm Bureau, uh, and uh, I lobby each year in uh, Albany uh, on behalf of farmers. So we've kind of created some uh, uh, lines of communication that way. Becca's done a, an amazing job with really bringing the hops to the forefront of, of thought for a lot of the, uh, the farmers and, and bringing a hop specialist like Steve Miller uh, was instrumental. I think that uh, Becca may have set, had something to do with uh, the, the grant that Steve received uh, for his funding. And uh, hopefully, uh, I don't know, Becca, do you know the status of, uh, of the renewal of that grant? Is he going to continue on as our hop specialist in New York State? That's certainly the goal. Uh, we got a grant through uh, New York State Department of Ag and Markets um, so through their specialty crop grant program to fund uh, the first New York State hop specialist for two years. And the way we were able to build the case for that uh, was that we had we realized that there was a lot of interest in growing hops, and there was almost no expertise left in the New York in um, this region. You know, as I mentioned, you know, hops really had not been grown commercially in New York State. Um, since uh, prohibition, <laughs> so uh, we did our we held our first uh, hops conference, um, and we got we sold out within I think two weeks with about ninety participants at the FX Matt Brewery, and we actually had to bring in experts from Wisconsin to teach the class. And we thought this is ridiculous. We need this level of expertise here, not just to teach these courses, but to actually go out to the farms to work with growers who are interested. And so um, that's why New York State uh, thought it would be a good idea. Um, and now the Northeast Hop Alliance um, with Steve Miller actually hold uh, field day events. I think they have at least four this year, working closely with uh, the University of Vermont that also has a, a hops research team. Um, and actually, University of Vermont is a little bit ahead of New York State in terms of trying to do more of these uh, field trials. So uh, it's nice that there's some, some good collaboration there. But I would encourage uh, anyone who's listening to go to the Northeast Hop Alliance website. Uh, it's a great place to go and, and find out about classes. You know, we get a lot of calls from people who say, hey, I want to put in, you know, 100 acres of hops. <laughs> and that's probably not realistic at this point. Hops are, as I said, it costs about $11,000 an acre uh, to put them in. And so it's something that I think at this point is, is better done at a small scale where people can really pay attention to the, the quality. Uh, these are flowers we're talking about. It's really the essential oils that make uh, those hops so great and make, um, as David said, some of the you know, best uh, beer that he's made. And so you really want to think about, I think, the quality in this and in terms and not the quantity because New York State is never going to be able to compete with China or the Pacific Northwest uh, just in terms of uh, quantity of production and price. Okay. Thanks. Well, we are out of time. If you are interested in learning more about this subject, Becca put together a really nice research and policy brief um, through the Community and Regional Development Institute. You can do a little Google search for that. Uh, you can find out more about the Northeast Hop Alliance by visiting N-E-H-O-P-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E dot org. Um, check out some of David's beer. Uh, David, where in the city can folks find a little Empire Brew? That's a good question. It's probably like 300 different places. Now. <laughs> Restaurants and bars. Uh, we only keg right now. The okay. new facility will be canning, but throughout throughout uh, most of New York State. Sure. And if you find yourself up in Syracuse, visit them. Their website's www.empirebrew.com. Uh, the New York State Brewers Association, like we said earlier, you can find them at thinkdrinknycom 
And if you want to tuck more into the grains issue, I highly recommend checking out GrowNYC.org and their regional grains program. Uh, stay tuned with us next Thursday. We'll be speaking with the folks at Good Nature Brewing and Blind Bat Brewing, talking a little bit about the use of local products in beer from the brewer's perspective. Uh, once again, you've listened to the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported network, so hit that donate button on the website or tune in to us through uh, iTunes and Stitcher, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right, we are on the line with Jean Hodesh, who's the publicity coordinator for Grow NYC Green Markets. And we are going to find out what's happening at the markets, what's on the way out, what's new, what's not to miss, what, what's happening over uh, in your neck of the woods, Jean. So we are officially into September, which is really a favorite month of the year here around Green Market. Um, you have pretty much everything is in season at the market right now. So you've got the end of the summer fruit, all the stone fruit, nectarines, peaches, plums, watermelons, cantaloupe, and corn. I'd say if, uh, if you are loath to admit that fall is just arriving and you're still really trying to hang on to summer, make sure you get to the market and um, pick up some of those items, can them, freeze them, pickle them, jam them, and um, put them up for the months ahead. And I would also say that the prices are pretty low at this point. Um, So look for those good deals. And then besides that, I mean, what's new right now? It's such an overwhelming array. So if you go to the market, you will find bins of artichokes next to pumpkins, next to celery, the first of the delicata squash I spied the other day. There are flats and flats and flats of tomatoes, all kinds of sun golds, green zebras, black prints, beefsteak. We've got over 200 varieties in the market. And then next to tomatoes, you'll find collards, kale, eggplants, hot peppers, sweet peppers, um, and a whole rainbow of potatoes, everything from purple potatoes to russet potatoes to fingerlings. Um, So there's plenty to cook with. And I would say not to miss, uh, today is the first day of school for New York City Public Schools, and we've got apples in the market. So you can either uh, pick up some apples and win your teacher over or just maybe buy them um, to put in your kids' lunches. And there are so many different kinds of varieties. We've got over 100 and different, 150 different varieties in the market. Um, some are sour, some are sweet, they're crunchy, you can sample them. Um, and they're sharing the table with pears and grapes, um, and pretty soon they will also be sharing the table with quince, which is something that I wanted to point out, a really good thing to keep your eyes open for. Um, I haven't seen any yet, but 
soon we'll see quince coming in and they have the most amazing fragrance um, they originate from eastern europe and central asia and they are in the same family as rose hips they're really high in vitamin c and um, they're really like astringent like you could use them they're full of pectin so you could actually use them to thicken up jelly if that's something that you're making or you can just make like quince paste and boil down the quince with um with honey and um it's it's really delicious people serve it with cheese a lot something else that i wanted to highlight that i think is special from the market is celery which is something people might overlook or not even think that they could pick up in in the market but um it's been growing all summer out in the field, and now it is in for harvest in the market. And it's totally unlike the celery you get at the grocery store. It's far less watery. It has a really distinct flavor. And if you add it to stock for a soup, it's going to show up. Um, or if you just cut it up and throw it into a stew, it really adds an extra layer of flavor that, um, that you shouldn't miss out on. Or if you just want to slice it up and eat it as an after-school snack, it's delicious. Um, serve it with hummus, or my old roommate used to love to make pimento cheese and, and dip celery in it. But it's got an excellent crunch and just a really um, intense flavor. Oh, that's such a great suggestion. I love the Path and Roth Gardens celery um, for a celery tart, uh, like a savory celery tart with Swiss cheese, maybe a little ham from Flying Pigs, and you're good to go. So it sounds like if you haven't um, been in the city for most of August, you're lucky. Um, and now you're lucky to come back and find the market still full of everything that you uh, would be looking for, from from stone fruit to, to peppers to tomatoes. So hop out there and, and check everything out. What about events? Anything going on uh, in the market area that we should be uh, sure to stop by at? Absolutely. So this Saturday, as sort of a, a back-to-school, welcome-back-to-the-city event, at Union Square, we're going to have the first-ever Green Market Youth Education Sandwich Smackdown. Um, and there's still room if you have a group of kids who uh, you are trying to get out of your house and get them to do something fun on Saturday. Um, we're having teams still sign up. You could email us, um, Liz Carollo at greenmarket.growonyc.org. Uh, is organizing the event, but kids are going to make sandwiches using ingredients from the market and then sample them for a panel of judges. Uh, there will be prizes, so that should be a fun competition. And then on Sunday in the Tompkins Square Park over in the East Village, we're having Green Market Iron Chef. It's uh, the Selka versus Hearth. Uh, that's starting at 1, so come by and, and watch those two um, restaurants from the East Village go head-to-head as they prepare a dish uh, with ingredients from the marketplace. And then in Tribeca on Saturday the 15th, we're having um, a salsa off. So plenty of competition in the market these days. <laughs> um, so if you think you've got what it takes to win the salsa competition, um, there's information on the Tribeca Green Market website on how to enter and, and show the market what you've got. Awesome. Well, thanks for those updates. And of course, I'd be remiss to not shout out uh, our own event here at the Heritage Radio Network. We're throwing a party in the back garden of Roberta's. And it's another way to taste some amazing Grow NYC green market vegetables. We've got Mike Anthony from Gramercy Tavern doing a selection of roasted vegetables. Shauna Pacifico from Back 40 West will be here doing a summer's last hurrah tomato salad. And tickets are still available for that. You can find them at heritageradionetwork.eventbrite.com. Dot com. So get them while they're hot. Jean, we look forward to talking to you next week. In the meantime, if people want more info on the farmers, the market, or volunteer opportunities, they can visit the website, www.grownyc.org, to learn more. This has been another episode of the Grow NYC Market Update. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.